The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. How wonderful to worship with you this morning as we remember and celebrate the resurrection together. We discover in Scripture that the Old Testament prophets pointed to the, the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we discover in the Gospels that a full, really a full 25% of the story of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is really about this week, this Passion Week. And then we discover that the entire rest of the New Testament are the apostles writing letters to believers in churches, explaining and defining and interpreting for us what it is that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ truly means in our lives. And and one of those letters is the one that we call 1 Peter. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd love for you to turn with me. If you've got a Bible app on your electronic device, 1 Peter chapter 1, you find a Bible there in the rack in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that one with you. It's an English Standard Version. That's what I'll be reading from. Peter is in many, many ways the most incredible story. If you were here on Super Bowl Sunday, we preached about the life of Peter, and we called it the greatest spiritual comeback of all times. The, the, the life of Peter before the, the death and resurrection of Jesus was a, a self-centered, prideful life that, uh, that really didn't accomplish anything eternal. But after the resurrection, everything changes for Peter. When he writes this particular letter that we call 1 Peter, it's about uh, 64, 65, 66 AD. And so it's a, it's a full 30 years since the resurrection. The Jews have suffered some persecution. They've been scattered all over the known world. And believers are starting to doubt. Well, it's been 30 years. When is Jesus going to return? It, it, was the resurrection real or was it fake news? And so Peter writes this letter, and what you see in it, what I hope that you'll see this morning, is the meaning of the death and burial and resurrection. Let's begin reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. All of you who are born again, say Amen. Man, he caused us to be born again. And what were we born unto? It's not just turning over a new leaf. No, Christ Jesus does the work in us, and we are born again to a living hope. Well, how can that happen? Because, it says right here, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All of this is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what did he save us to? Verse 4 says, to an inheritance, and here he's going to describe it in three ways, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Your faith in Jesus may fade, but his inheritance, his salvation for you never fades. It is kept for you. And the scripture goes on and it says that, kept in heaven for you. The word kept there is like reserved. I, I'm, I'm kind of a blue-collar guy. I don't go to fancy restaurants very often that demand a reservation. But there have been a few times in my life when we kind of gotten dressed up to go out to a, I don't think I've ever gone to a five-star restaurant, a three-and-a-half-star restaurant. 
And we go out, and it, and it always kind of made me feel good, that moment where I would step up there to the maitre d' and I would say, I have a reservation. Reservations for Paul Jones. Don't need that in everyday uh, life at McDonald's. They don't demand reservations there. But a reservation just makes you feel special. Well, Peter is saying, you have a reservation. You have this unfading inheritance brought about by the fact that you are a believer in Christ Jesus, born again, and it's kept in heaven for you. And he also is talking about you. You who, verse 5, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Isn't it good that God guards your salvation? Well, how terrible it would be if, if you were the one who was supposed to guard your own salvation. You, you would have misplaced it by now. You, you, you've been looking for it like keys to the car, reading glasses scattered around the house. Those of you who don't know about reading glasses, you will. You, 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 you would have lost it. So God doesn't give it to you to guard, but he guards it for you. It's done through our faith, this salvation that's ready to be revealed. And then Peter says this, in this, you rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. And the trials really have a purpose. That is so that the, the, the genuineness of your faith will be tested. And, and your faith is more precious than gold that's tested by fire because it perishes. Your faith never will. It will be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, really the second time now he's used the word reveal. First he's, he said that in verse 5, our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And now he says it'll happen at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Those of you who watch uh, HGTV, men don't judge me. <laughs> well, maybe you watch Fixer Upper. And there's, a, there's always the, the show culminates in what they call the reveal. Now, I want you to think about what the reveal is. Uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines have taken an old house and they have fixed it up. And the house is done. The house is beautiful. Joanna Gaines has finished decorating it. But the owners haven't seen it yet. And they call that moment when they see it the reveal. I want you to know that there's a, there's a house for you that's already fixed up. It's already done. Jesus has done all the work. And we're waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice, this is what Peter says, with a joy that is inexpressible. If you're here this morning and you, you just don't, you don't have words to describe what you feel because your sins are forgiven, because heaven is yours, because the Holy Spirit indwells you, because you're changed. If you have inexpressible joy, then I want to say to you, join the club. Even Peter himself, eyewitness, says, I can't, even, I, I can't even tell you how incredible my joy is. And he goes on and he says in verse 9, and all of this happens while obtaining the outcome of your faith. What's the result of your faith? Is it a new car? 
Is it a better job so that you beat cancer? No, those are earthly things. That's not the, that's not the result of your faith. It is the salvation of your soul. Concerning the salvation, verse 10 says, the prophets who prophesied about grace, the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. Now, I want you to think this through. Now, now Peter jumps all the way back to the Old Testament, and he saw the prophets actually could see, because the Holy Spirit revealed it to them, that Jesus was going to come. They prophesied all kinds of things, that he would be born of the lineage of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be the one that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon. He would set uh, captives free. Uh, he would set us at liberty from our sin, that he would endure and suffer things at the, at the, establishment, the religious establishment, that he would rise again. He says they, they searched and inquired carefully, verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them. Do you see this? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. That's why we can say the Holy Spirit lives in you. You can say Christ lives in me. It's the same thing. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted two things. He predicted, number one, the sufferings of Christ, and number two, his subsequent glories. You and I stand, we, we look back at the sufferings of Christ. We look forward at his subsequent glories. We, we are so fortunate that we're born in history in this place of time where we stand between the comings of Christ. The, the prophets were on this side. They looked at it all forward, and so it was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you. Have you ever thought about that? Isaiah didn't live for Isaiah. He lived for you. Jeremiah didn't prophesy for himself. He prophesied for you. Ezekiel wrote down what God told him for you. They didn't serve themselves. They served us. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach to you the good news. In, in, in the Bible, this phrase, good news, which sometimes gets translated gospel, they're, they're interchangeable. They mean the same thing. Good news is the gospel. This is, what, this is how the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is described for you. It's good news. When you, when you go see a wonderful action movie, the closest that Hollywood can ever replicate this is that the, that the hero almost dies. You think he's dead, but he's not. But not our hero. Our hero died. He was dead for three days. And then he came back to life to prove that he's more than a Marvel comic hero. It's more than fantasy. It's more than smoke and mirrors. Dead, stone cold dead for three days. Jesus said, I lay my life down. I can take it back up again. It proves who he is. And he says, this is the good news brought to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And how good is this news? These are things that angels wish they could have and see into. You and I, we can know this good news experientially. Angels cannot. Angels can only stand outside and look at Jesus as Savior, Redeemer, because we have experienced that. This is one of, it's one paragraph of, of, of hundreds in the New Testament that are built on the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'd suggest to you is 
even though this is good news, and it's the best news, it's the greatest news, it's not new news. Most of the people that you know, friends and people that you work with and family members that maybe you're going to see later today, who choose not to come and worship the resurrected Lord today, they know what today is. They, they really know the essence of what Easter is. Muslims and Jews and those who are nothings, who just, they just kind of live their own life outside of faith, they, they know this story. They know that today is the day that we commemorate and remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So their problem isn't that they don't know it. Their problem is that they don't understand the meaning of it. And so this morning, oh, I, I want to help you to the best of my ability, the best of my weak and feeble ability, I want to help you understand what's the meaning of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. What, what was the purpose for it? What are, what are we to take away from it as we consider that this was a real event, the intervention in history of God himself. First of all, I would say from this paragraph here in 1 Peter, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus proves that you cannot overcome sin on your own. Peter talks about the fact that this is the central theme of all of the Bible. You go all the way back into the Old Testament, and what do you discover? In the Old Testament, the prophets were telling us that this event was going to happen. And and then in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the whole first part of the New Testament telling you here was the event. And and then starting in the book of Acts all the way to the Revelation, what do you have? You have the apostles telling you this is the event that changed our lives. We're eyewitnesses of it. And so the whole Bible is centered on this. In fact, the Bible itself says this about Jesus. He was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. So before God ever said, let there be light, he knew that your sin and my sin would demand Jesus' sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. If, if what we were doing here was kind of a, a, a great big self-help meeting, if, if we were all here and and all we had to do was turn over a new leaf, and all we had to do was grit our teeth. If we, were, if we just all came together so that we could all overcome our own sin, and, you know, I'd stand up and say, hi, I'm Paul, I'm a sinner, and you'd all say, hi, Paul. And then, and then, we, and then we could just overcome our, our, our drugs and our alcohol and our lust and our greed and whatever it is. If we, if we could overcome sin ourselves, then why would the Heavenly Father plan before he ever said, let there be light? Why would he tell the prophecies before Jesus ever came? Why would the scriptures all be centered on his death? God the Father wouldn't have killed his son if you and I could get to heaven by our own goodness. And and the greatest lie that ever came out of hell is this. You're going to live your life, and you're going to get to God, and when you do, he's going to weigh your good and your bad, and if your good outweighs your bad, you're going to get in. Nobody gets in that way. There's none righteous, no, not one. Everyone has sinned and fall short of the standard of God. God knew that. He always knew that. 
That's why he sent his son. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus means that you cannot overcome your sin on your own. And the truth of the matter is you know that in your heart. I know it every time I open a bag of Doritos. I can't even stop eating Doritos. Bag of Oreos, you open those. Every time somebody cuts you off in the roundabout, you know what you think? Every time your boss gives a praise to some other guy who's just a schmoozer, and you're the one that does all the work. You know what you think. Every time you watch the news and you see Washington, D.C. is so screwed up, you know what you think. You already know the depravity of your own heart. Just admit it. You can't get yourself to heaven. That's why Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says he loved you so much, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's why Jesus came. There's a, there's a twin truth to this. There's something that goes with that. And that is that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus proves that you can't get to heaven without Christ's sacrifice. Now, I pull these apart because, sadly enough, most Americans are, are not that interested in the forgiveness of sins, but they sure want to go to heaven. And I want you to understand, the deal that God makes here is not a, he doesn't write you a fire insurance policy. The deal isn't, you live your life how you want, you be the boss of your own life, you be the Lord of your own life, you make your own decisions, and, and, then, and then you just get heaven when you die. That's not how that works. Unless your sins are cleansed, unless they're forgiven, unless you come to the cross and ask for that work to be done in your heart, then not only are your sins are not forgiven, but heaven is not yours. Heaven's not the North Pole where Santa Claus lives and we just all get presents. That is not the teaching of the scripture. This same Jesus who went to the cross, he had many more sermons about hell than heaven. Why? Because he doesn't want you to go there. Because he wants you to realize his sacrifice was necessary. Heaven isn't a wink and a nod where God lets you in in spite of your sins. I want you to understand what happened on the cross. Your sins were paid for at the cross. The, the holy requirements of the heavenly father were met in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid for your sins. How does that work? Heaven's a, a perfect place for perfect people. So only someone who's perfect can get in. Well, that, that discounts all of us. We're all disqualified. Let's just for a moment say, this would be a wild stretch of the imagination, but say that I was perfect. I could go to heaven. Or I could pay your sin debt, which the wages of sin is death. I could pay your sin debt so you could go to heaven. There's only one problem with that. I could, I could only die for one of you. I'd have to pick which one of you I would die for. I have grandchildren. There's a good chance none of you would make that list. This is, what, this is what Jesus was. Jesus was the infinite God who became man so that when he went to the cross and he had the infinite capacity to suffer, he could die for all of our sins in a finite amount of time. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how great that mercy is, how wonderful that love is? And that's what Jesus did. That's what his sacrifice was so that heaven could be reserved, kept, Peter says, for you. There's a third thing 
third summation, a, a third conclusion that we really come to out of this paragraph, and that is that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus means that not all religious beliefs are created equal. If, 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 if living your life so that the good outweighs the bad gets you into heaven, if, if that's a lie out of, out of hell, then so is this one. The, this world that we live in where we, we're, to, we're to tolerate all religions and the idea is that all religions really believe the same thing in essence and they all have the same God and we're all going the same direction is not true. You, you don't need more meditation you don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need the strictness of the Koran. You need a savior. That's what you need. You need a savior. And there's only one savior in the world. You understand this. There's cults that spring up. David Koresh, he wasn't a savior. Song Young Moon wasn't a savior. Elizabeth Clare Prophet's not a savior. Joseph Smith's not a savior. There's only one Savior, and he's the one who went to the cross for you. That's what separates this from every other fake religion. And you have got, this world that we live in, you've got to get this. You've got to understand this. There are not many ways to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And love is not keeping that quiet. Love is declaring that. And so we're not all going there, only those who have come to the cross with real repentance, real faith, and given their lives to Christ. Well, now that we understand the meaning of this death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can also understand that it means that a superficial response isn't enough to be saved. So let's come back again to the premise. We, we've got friends and loved ones and neighbors and family members, people that we know who, who, are, who are not believers, and, and yet somehow they've been tricked or fooled into maybe thinking that they are. And, and the idea is that they have a faith, but what I want to say to you this morning is faith is defined by, faith is uh, um, prescribed by, God himself. And if the faith doesn't match what we have in the Bible, it's not real faith. Let me see if I can help you with that. For instance, a mere intellectual understanding isn't biblical faith. Now, don't get me wrong. You, you've got you to have enough gray matter to understand that Jesus is the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, and that he died that death on the cross to pay for your sins. And you have to give your life to him. You have to, you have to have an understanding of that. But just the understanding of it alone isn't faith. The, the idea that uh, you know some facts about history isn't saving faith. You, the idea that you know that JFK was assassinated in Dallas, that, that's just a historical fact. But there's nothing in it that can save you. And so there are, there are thousands, I'm afraid millions of people who, who go, yeah, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I believe he went to the cross and he died for the salvations of the world. But it, is, it has nothing more for them than a historical annotation in history. 
It's never been a time and a place where they gave themselves to that Christ, where they trusted in that Christ. And so the fact that two plus two equals four doesn't make you a mathematician. You, you have to give yourself to that. So first of all, a mere intellectual assent is not saving faith. Secondly, a couple of emotional events don't add up to biblical faith. There's so many people that I meet and they, and they tell me, oh, I was, I was going down the road and I, I, I happened to turn on a Christian radio station. This song came on and made me cry. And people say, I went to a camp when I was a kid and I just really felt something there. Or people say, one day I went and I just really felt something. Now, now listen, God, God knows that we're emotional beings. He made us that way. And there are these high and wonderful emotional moments but you are not a believer because you have had some high spiritual emotional moments. S- several years ago, I was talking to a woman. We started talking about faith and eternity. And I said, are you, are you certain that you would go to heaven when you die? And she said, yes, absolutely. I said, tell me about how you came to faith. And she said, well, I, I was going through a time of terrible depression. She said, I, I was in my bedroom one night. And nobody else was in the house. All the lights were out. And then I, I realized that there was a light or something on in the living room. I could see it. But then before I could get out of bed, that light actually started approaching me. And it came out of the living room and it came down the hallway and it came to the doorway of my bedroom and it was a bright light. And, and I, she had me with the story. I was like, and I, I was waiting for what came next. And she said, so I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I was like, oh. Now listen carefully. I don't doubt her one bit. I don't doubt the, the, the event. But here's what I want to say to you. A bright light in your doorway isn't saving faith. It's not biblical faith. A, 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 an emotional experience isn't saving faith. Saving faith is when you give your life away to Christ. When he becomes your everything in life. Do you, do you see how those are different? There's one last thing that we have to talk about today in terms of a superficial response to the death and burial and resurrection, and that is that a a personally contrived, self-defined faith isn't biblical faith. I meet so many people, and as I begin to have conversation with them, they they say something that sounds like this. Well, I'm I'm a spiritual person. I'm a spiritual person, but, you know, you have, you have your faith, and I have my faith, and, and, I, and I have what works for me. I'm glad that works for you, but I have what works for me, and, and this is what works for me, and this is my faith. Now, now listen very carefully, because I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but you don't get to define your faith. You're imperfect. You're broken. You're, you have a wickedness in your soul. In fact, the idea that I get to define my faith is really ultimately pride. I am unwilling to come to the cross and lay myself down. I am unwilling to submit myself. I am unwilling to surrender how I think it should go. You don't get to determine that. God does. And God says, you must come to the cross. You must come through my son. And you must give your life to him even as he gave his life to you. Do you understand that we're, we're surrounded by people today and they really don't, they really don't rejoice in the resurrection because they don't need to. They, they think I've got it because I figured it out intellectually. They think I've got it because I, I had some incredible emotional moments. They think I've got it because I figured out what I think faith works for me. 
and they are missing the meaning of the death and burial and resurrection. I suggest to you, if we all got to heaven based on our own self-contrived, determined faith, then Jesus didn't need to die. But you don't get to heaven that way. You must come through the one living hope, through Jesus Christ himself. So, what is the right response? What is biblical faith? What does it look like? Well, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus means that there's only one response. Biblical faith is that which demands my soul, my life, my all. Here's the Here's the misnomer of what we do in America. We have, we have a great day on Easter Sunday. So many of you are here. We're delighted that you're here. But the, the idea that we, that, we, that we give ourselves to resurrection celebration once a year is, well, that'd be a mockery to the cross of Christ, wouldn't it? The idea that we celebrate once a week every Sunday is not enough of a response Jesus Christ gave his all for you. And the only proper response, biblical faith is, I give my all back to him. I give him my life. I give him my soul. I I give him my affections. I give him my hobbies. I give him my job. I give him my money. I give him my blood, my sweat, my tears. And it's not just Sundays and it's not just Easter's. It's every day. That is is biblical faith. That's the response that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ deserves. And anything less than that response is counterfeit. It'd be terrible, wouldn't it, if you went to Easter brunch or lunch after this and you'd gone to the bank, to, you're going to do something nice and pay for the whole family and you're sitting on a, ni- a couple of nice, crisp $100 bills, and you take them out to pay for dinner, and then the waiter comes back and says, these are counterfeit. And now you're stuck. Can't pay for lunch. You're embarrassed. How much worse? To get all the way to Judgment Day, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, and some on that day will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the meaning of the resurrection. There was a section of this passage that I read to you earlier, but I didn't really comment on it. I've saved it for this moment. You see, when Peter wrote this letter, he, well, he wrote it to you. Peter was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus and his death. He lived those three days, dark days, when he thought Jesus was gone forever. And then he was, a, he was a witness of the resurrection, and he saw Jesus for 40 days after his resurrection. But when Peter writes this letter, he says in verse 8, I've written this to you, though you have not seen him. Peter had seen him, but we haven't. He says, I've written to you, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You and I, we haven't seen with our very own eyes the scars in his hands. But one day, the reveal will happen. 
one day, the scripture says, our faith will become sight. And how do we know that? Because of the resurrection. We know that Jesus is coming back again for us. Have a blessed and joyful Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.